how's everybody doing? I had this amazing week because I watched this TV show that blew my mind and it had the most hysterical scene about pregnancy and labor and your water breaking. So before we get started, I have to pass it along to you guys. It's called The White Lotus and it's a mini series with just six episodes and you can watch it on HBO. It's so uncomfortably funny. If you watch it and you love it, will you write about it on Instagram or something and tag me because it's so funny. So that's what made my week special. I hope you guys are having a great week too. And I also sat down for this interview with Ashley Lewis. Now, Ashley was planning on having an unmedicated birth with a doula when the pandemic hit. So we talked today about taking a U-turn and also planning an induction. And we talk all things induction. So if you have questions, this is the episode for you. All right, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey, Ashley, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am very excited. Today, we are talking about elective inductions, birthing in COVID, like having all of your plans get squashed because of a pandemic, having a newborn in the middle of a pandemic, all of the things. But I really am excited to talk to you about the induction process and what it's like to plan your induction. My listeners know my second was a planned induction, and that was really empowering for me. So I love these stories, and I love telling positive birth stories too, so that we can learn like what an induction looks like. So Ashley, I am really excited to have you today. But before we dive into like your pregnancy and the birth, all of that, can you just share with the audience, like, where are you a little bit about your family and yourself? Yeah. So I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have been married for, oh gosh, four years. I think, I hope that's right. And my son is 13 months. I am a counselor Uh, right now. I'm working in the substance abuse field, but I'm moving into private practice pretty soon. So yeah, we're just, we've been in Charlotte for about seven, seven years or so. Where were you before that? 
Before that, I was in college. So I went straight from like college to here with my husband. So I jumped around a little bit, but I was mostly in South Carolina. Okay. Which uh, university did you go to? Oh, goodness. I went to Presbyterian College for two years. Okay. And then I went to Winthrop University. Wow. And Winthrop, for those listening, is right outside Charlotte, and it's a wonderful university. So so I'm so excited. We're in the same city, Instagram buddies. This is really <laughs> fun. So your counseling business, I mean, this must be in the middle of a pandemic, especially with substance abuse. I mean, you must be really busy. Yes. Yes. I'm. Yeah. I'm working at a facility and the owner is saying that this is, you know, the busiest and the most intense, I guess, that it's been in, you know, his 15 or so years. It's, it's a lot. It's really kind of sad, but it's also great to see all the people that are really wanting to change and get help. Yeah. And I just want to take a minute and say thank you for what you do and for serving our community because people are hurting right now. And if we didn't have counselors like you, I don't know where any of us would be. So thank you. And today you're here to teach. This is so great. Okay. So you were married and did you get pregnant on purpose? Did you plan your pregnancy? Did you have a fertility journey? What did that look like? We did plan. It took us about two years to get pregnant. During that first probably year or so, it was more of we're not on birth control. We're not doing anything to stop it, but we're not necessarily like planning down to the days trying to get pregnant. And then after that, I guess the second year was more of, okay, let's let's uh, see what's going on here and actually starting to really try to get pregnant. You know, I went to the my OB and talked with them, got I think like a ultrasound of my uterus, I guess, to check everything out. My husband, he got checked out too. Everything looked fine. And I actually had just gotten prescribed Clomid, I think, um, which I was really nervous about because I believe it helps you to ovulate more regularly, maybe, but it's you're more likely to have twins with that or there is a chance of it. And I did not want twins at all. (laughs) Um, That just sounds terrifying (laughs) to me. I have been a doula to lots of multiples from Clomid. (laughs) So it, it, it can sometimes make you hyper ovulate. So, yeah. And sorry, the reason that they were wanting to give me the Clomid and I think why it took so long is because I was not right. My cycle was not regular. But we ended up having a very spontaneous trip to D.C. We saw a comedian up there and we conceived. So that was uh, not, not planned. I mean, it was planned, but not planned. Didn't know that was happening. So that was uh, really exciting. That is really exciting. So what, what comedian did you go see? Jenny Slate. I don't I know who that name. is, which is probably shameful, but but she's she's pretty hilarious. She's on um I think she's on Netflix. Okay. Um you can find her on there, but yeah, she's pretty great. Well, we're recording on a Friday night, you guys. So it looks like <laughs> I've got plans with Jenny Slate and Netflix. I will I will take it. And I won't be making any babies tonight <laughs> either afterwards. So 
So how fun. So so how did you find out you were pregnant then? Because you were getting ready to take Clomid. So what did that look like? Yeah, so I was working a third shift job at the time. Um, and I had actually just accepted a position for a full-time first shift job, which I was really excited about because third shift is just difficult. And I was at work my second to last day, I believe. And I felt really sick. I was having hot flashes and I didn't know what the heck was going on with me. A week or so earlier, I'd had a nosebleed and I never have nosebleeds. So <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. It, yes. This is how we so diagnose strange. pregnancy. Nosebleeds yeah. and passing out. <laughs> yeah. This was actually on Thanksgiving. Yeah. This was on Thanksgiving because the very... So, so I went home. I went to bed. They let me leave. And the next my husband and his family went out to do the shopping and I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a test. I'm sure it's not going to be anything because, you know, at that point, two years down the road, but there it was. And I started freaking out and didn't know what to do. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was crazy, but it was positive. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm like, that's a long, I mean, two years is kind of a long fertility journey. That's pretty yeah. hard. But to have that spontaneous like surprise too, I feel like that gives a little balance, like just a little mm -hmm. bit of balance. Ashley, tell me about your health, your pregnancy. Like, so we just heard you had, you had this nosebleed, you were kind of feeling weird, but what were your trimesters like? Like first, second, third, how did you feel? The first trimester was not fun. And it's hard to say that it was terrible because to me it was. And I know that it's so much worse for a lot of other people. Very nauseous all the time, just felt terrible. But thankfully, going into the second trimester, it got a lot better. The second trimester was pretty good. And then into the third, it was a lot of not sleeping and pains and I think this kid is going to be a soccer star because he would just kick and tumble and all the stuff in my stomach. And nobody believed me that, oh, it can't hurt that bad. It did. <laughs> I had it one did. that was 23 inches long and 10 and a half pounds. And he was like in my literally like under my rib. Like I kept saying, like, is it broken? Like, did he break oh. the rib? Because it's these kicks are like legit. And then when they come out and you're changing their diaper and you see them kind of kicking and you're yeah. like, see, that was happening inside you, Ashley. That's what I was saying to everybody. And they're like, okay, I guess I understand now. <laughs> it's not comfortable. It's not. So for anyone listening that's newly pregnant, maybe in their first trimester, did you have any strategies or tips? Like what made you feel better in that first trimester when you were feeling pretty terrible and nauseous? How did you help yourself? I made sure I was constantly eating. Like no joke, I was always eating something. I tried mints and they helped decently to settle my stomach. And my sister-in-law told me that something that helped her, which also helped me, was to keep like goldfish or crackers or or something like that beside the bed. So when you wake up first thing in the morning before you even get out of the bed, go ahead and eat a couple. And it helps just to have something on your stomach to settle it. So that worked pretty well for me too. I had really, really bad food aversions. So my husband was 
pretty fantastic. And, you know, if there was something that I could eat and something that I was like had in mind that I knew I could stomach, he would go get it or he would fix it or whatever that was. So really just eating what I could um, and making sure that I would keep eating. I love it. So my doula partner, Colin, with doula differently, I always say she's just like an adult child because she actually sleeps with goldfish like on the side of her bed, not pregnant, like (laughs) all the time. But she gives that little tip and tidbit to our clients. So that was perfectly aligned. I'm like, oh, it's a doula. Like this is one, the goldfish trick. Like this is something we talk about. (laughs) So thank you for that. I think that's really helpful to hear from other moms, things that helped you and certainly keeping food on your stomach and high protein meals too can be, you know, really helpful. So you get into this third trimester and you're not sleeping and, you know, you've got a soccer star in there. And so tell me, like, usually the question I ask is, how do you know that you were in labor? But I know that the topic of this episode was a planned, scheduled, elective induction. So tell me how far along you were at the end of this pregnancy when you raised your hand and were like, I would like to be induced. What did that conversation look like with your healthcare provider? I think I was probably around 36 weeks. And prior to that, I had been very against induction. That was very scary to me. I just, I didn't want that. But I decided actually very selfish reasons. I wanted to be induced. I was finishing up my master's program. It was the middle of summer. It was hot. And I was just tired of being pregnant. And I really wanted to time it just right so I could get back in to my program when the semester was starting. And so I just kind of asked them what it would look like. And they said, you know, they'll support, they'll support that if that's what I wanted to do. But it couldn't be any sooner than 39 weeks. And I really thought I was going to go before then. I thought that I was going to go into labor. I was having Braxton Hicks like every single day. It was waking me up in the middle of the night. Sometimes it was so painful. And I mean, what do I know? Because I was hadn't been pregnant before also. So who knows? But it was every single day I was having Braxton Hicks. Um, so I really thought I would go before that, but I did not. Well, here's what. You weren't going to go to 42 weeks. That's what I can tell you. When you start having a lot of physiological changes and symptoms in your body, your body's warning you. It's giving, telling you a story. It's sharing with you. It's also a facing your cervix every time you have a Braxton X yeah. contraction. It's pushing the head lower, engaging the pelvis. I always tell my moms, like, don't get upset with your Braxton X. Don't be mad at them. Like, they're doing work. <laughs> When you go into active labor, it's going to be shorter if you had a lot of like pre-labor up front because it's going to thin your cervix and open your cervix a little bit and kind of get your cervix kind of ripe is a word that they use, like soft and ripe. So it's ready for that active labor. And then, you know, I know you had mentioned that you had done this induction in the 39th week, which we're going to get into in a minute, but it kind of tells me that your body was ready. Like you were about to go into labor all on your own anyway. So so let's back it up just a little bit. So about 36 weeks, you're starting to have that conversation, but it's 13 months ago because you just said you had a 13-month-old, which is like basically the start of the pandemic. Yes. 
And, you know, tell me, so the hospitals were panicking around here, right? Like everyone's like, you can't, we don't know if you can have anyone birth with you. Can your husband or your partner come with you? Can your doula come with you? All these things. So did you have a plan? Like, did you, did you have like four visitors you wanted plus a doula? Like, what did that look like versus what happened? (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely had a plan. Again, kind of going in with the being scared of the induction process, I was just completely terrified of giving birth. Like I've always wanted kids, but the thought of like how much pain that was going to be just, I couldn't imagine. And it just freaked me out so much. So I definitely wanted a doula pretty much as soon as we found out I was pregnant, like we started contacting people because I just knew that was really, really important to me. So like I wanted my husband, obviously a doula and then my mom wanted to be present. So I was going to have her in there with me as well. But then COVID. Yeah. So this is early on in COVID. And from my recollection, partners couldn't even come to the appointments. Was that the case for you? We had our anatomy scan in February, 2020. And then what like, Three, four weeks later, maybe everything shut down. So everything after the anatomy scan, I had to go by myself for, or I didn't even go. There were several appointments that were just canceled in general. So, yeah. I mean, heartbreaking. I can't even, I mean, I I walked this journey with all of my doula clients. I just can't imagine being in your shoes. Like at least now, I mean, maybe there's like some vaccines. People are choosing them, not choosing them. There's masks. Like at least right now in our city, partners are allowed to come to your appointment with you. You know, hooray, they're allowed to be at the birth with you. You know, yay, the one place they're not allowed to be with you still is in triage. You still have to be alone for like three hours, which story for another day. But I think it's quite barbaric to make a mom come in and labor and be there for two hours all alone, (laughs) all alone for hours in triage. But at least it's better than what it was when you were giving birth and it was just like nobody. So did you hire a doula? I did. I did hire. We went through the process. We did a, we were supposed to do like a class with, with her and it ended up being on Zoom, which is just not the same. But yeah, so we, we went through the whole process right down to the wire, hoping and praying that something was going to change that she would be allowed in, but it wasn't. So we had the option of either continuing and having her support virtually or just doing it on our own. And we we chose to just do it on our own. I just didn't feel like the virtual option was going to be all that helpful. And it's pricey, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's a, it's an investment, which one I was more than happy to go with, but just not if it was going to be virtual. So... Yeah, it was really devastating for a lot of my clients. So here for my clients, you guys, this pandemic shut my business down from March until July for virtual. Well, I'm a smart businesswoman. We have contracts. You cannot get out of them. So everyone had paid me. And I'm like, you know, I have a mortgage. I'm a single mom. I have a mortgage to pay. Like, so my clients didn't have the option, Ashley. So your doula is really kind of kind and generous that she gave you the option. Uh, My contracts didn't allow for that. 
So we had to get really creative. So I did like, I will tell you, I did like a thousand extra things that I don't normally do, like hypnotherapy sessions, like where I did like hypnobirthing scripts and read them, lots of Zoom check-ins. I mean, all the pampering, you know, like sent them for these different experiences that we could have, made them custom essential oil blends. I mean, I was doing everything I could to make it valuable. And then I will say we had everybody have an iPad and a tripod and me in their ears, in their AirPods. And I did coach them virtually for all of those months. And I would hope that all of those clients will come on here and tell you that, that they had the birth experience that they dreamed about. Fortunately, none of my clients had to be induced. So we labored at home until they were like basically ready to push. And then I was in their earbuds on the iPhone or on the iPad for the very end. That's different than your story, right? So if you were going into spontaneous labor, maybe you could have made a different decision to have been with your doula for 90% of your labor and then just kind of shuttled in for the end. But And I think if you don't mind me jumping in on yeah. that, I think that makes a big difference too, because what you're describing, like what you were offering your clients wasn't what it looked like for me. Like it wasn't what it looked like for me. So like there weren't these touch points. There weren't, there was like, we signed a contract and then we'll make a birth plan and that's it. And that just didn't create like that type of bond that I felt like I would be able to get out of it, get anything out of someone not being there in person. Yeah. And honestly, even if it had been in person, it probably wouldn't have been as good as if it was with someone that I was able to create some type of bond with. Yeah, Um, I totally agree. And I think that that's part of like the best part of my job as a doula that I love is that like, I literally like, I feel like their grandmother or their mom, like I'm kissing them on the forehead and telling them how much I love them. Like, and really we've only spent 20 hours of our life together during (laughs) their like, you know, birth or, you know, their prenatal sessions and stuff. But like that bond is, it's unbreakable. I mean, but you have to build it in advance. And so um, I totally understand that. So here you are in the middle of a pandemic and you're like, okay, doula scratch mom at the birth scratch but like your husband can go like when and you're like okay I really want to be at school let me just I have to like give you a hug about this Ashley that is not selfish you used the word selfish it is never selfish it's generous to take care of yourself so that you can do the things that you love so that you can be a better person and a better parent So I hope if you ever retell this story again, that you don't look at that as selfish, that you look at that as empowering, that you are in charge of your body, that you get to make empowering choices with your medical provider that makes sense so that you can be the best version of yourself. So I actually really respect that. And as everyone knows, I also chose my own elective induction and that worked for my family. And I do not see it as selfish. (laughs) So... I want to like lift you up there, girl, that like this isn't, that was an empowering, generous decision for your family. I think that's really, really good. So you make this plan. You're like, okay, let's come in 39 and five. Yeah. And so we went in on a Thursday. Okay. And that Monday, the previous Monday, 
I had my appointment at the OB and I had my my membranes stripped. Is mm-hmm. that the word? Yeah. Um, because I I still, even at that point, I really did not want to be induced. I really wanted to have that spontaneous labor because, I mean, that's quote unquote the way it's supposed to be in my mind. Like, that's just what I've been taught. And, you know, I ended up losing my mucus plug. I had contractions and I'm like, okay, it's going to happen. Nope. <laughs> still didn't happen. So Thursday but- morning, <laughs> we get going <laughs> to the hospital. But you know what? Your body was doing a lot of work. Like, yes. yes. So to do a membrane sweep, you have to be one centimeter dilated and pretty soft, pretty effaced. And essentially they go in and separate your amniotic sac from the top of your cervix and kind of massage. And it releases prostaglandins and the, the cycle of prostaglandins to oxytocin to prostaglandins to oxytocin are two of the modes of action we believe that play a vital role in labor. And so they did this membrane sweep and then you had contractions and your plug came out. So I would say your cervix was dilating and effacing. Do you remember what you were when you started your induction? I was either two or three centimeters dilated. I can't, I want to say three. Yeah. I think I was like 50 or 60% effaced, something like that. So yeah, my body was, I was getting there. Your body was ready. <laughs> okay, so there's this something that they'll give you, and I don't know if they shared it with you or not with your practice, but it's called a Bishop score. And it essentially looks at how likely you are when you get induced to have a vaginal birth, right? It means like, is your body ready for this induction or are, is your body maybe not ready for this induction? And it also helps guide whether they're going to do side attack or cervidil or a balloon or Pitocin or, you know, many different modes to an induction. And your Bishop score was very high. So a high number is a really good thing. And a low number is like, well, your cervix is not ripe necessarily. And we need to maybe, it might take a couple of days to do an induction. But if you're starting an induction at three centimeters, 60% of face, like you're ready to go. So yeah, yeah, they had originally planned for me to come in Wednesday night to do one of those things, the balloon or, or I don't I don't know, one of those things. Um, but since I was so far along already, I didn't have to go in until Thursday morning and they just started straight away with Pitocin. Beautiful. I love morning inductions after like yeah. a good night's sleep and a meal. Oh yeah, we went we went and ate breakfast beforehand. Yeah, I was like, we're having our last meal together and it's going to be breakfast. I love breakfast. So where'd you go? We went to Snooze yeah. in Plaza Midwood. Yeah. yeah, that's in my neighborhood. All yeah. you charlatans listening, you know, Snooze. It's really, really good. It's really funny. I ask people, they you always remember your last meal and then your first meal after you gave birth. It's like everyone can recall that. It's so interesting. I ate Bojangles on my way to my induction. <laughs> So yours was a little bit classier than mine um, <laughs> at the hot new brunch spot. So so you're there in the morning and they start Pitocin. Now, you had told me you had hired a doula. Doulas are independent of the type of birth that you want. 50% of my clients get an epidural, 50% do not by choice. Okay. The, the statistics are probably a little bit skewed beyond that. But like, does that make sense? Like, 
People hire me whether they want to have an epidural or not. That does not matter to me or my practice at all. Any doula. So if you want to have a medicated birth, there is still giant value in having a doula. If you want to have an unmedicated birth, giant value. So did you like, like, you know, you planned this, but were you thinking in your mind, like, I really want to have an unmedicated birth or I really, really want an epidural or like, I really just kind of want to wait and see what happens. Did you have a plan? First and foremost, I wanted whatever was going to be the safest and get me through it. I wanted preferably unmedicated. And honestly, it was because I really hate needles and I was really scared (laughs) of having an epidural. But I was open to, you know, whatever is going to help get us through in a safe way we would do. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful attitude for going into a birth. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. So you get in and they start the Pitocin and my experience tells me they start it very slow, either a one or a two, and then they go up usually by one or two milliunits every 30 minutes or so. Is that how they did it for you? Yeah, I believe so. It was really slow at first um, as they're, like as it was going, I wasn't really feeling much. And then even when I was, I wasn't like the contractions weren't, they weren't really anything. So, you know, they just kept putting it higher and higher. At that point, I was like, all right, I got to get out of this bed because nothing's happening. I got to move around some. So I like tried to walk laps in the room and it just was a little tight. So I was like, all right, we're going to go in the hallway and try not to show my butt to anybody. And so (laughs) we go and like did a ton of laps around the hallway, which helped a lot to kind of start getting it going and actually start feeling something. And one thing that was really important me important to me that I wanted to do was try the bath. Like I really wanted a room that had a bathtub in it. I really wanted to be able to get into the water. So they gave me one of the monitors that like aren't hooked up to anything so that I could get in the tub. And that was probably I got the Pitocin around 10 and I probably got in the tub between two and four and I was in there for maybe 10, 15 minutes and there was this huge pop and my husband thought that somebody had like banged their fist into the wall on the outside of our room and I was like, oh my God, I think my water just broke. He's like, what? Are you sure? Did it? Yeah. Like, get the nurse. <laughs> what a great way to break your water in the water. <laughs> no, no, right. mess, no mess to clean up. I think that's awesome. 
So a couple of things for for those of you listening today that's really beautiful about Ashley's story because you're probably like, wait, she's on Pitocin and she's like walking the hallways. It's portable. It's on a little like stand and it goes with you. And if you have a Bluetooth wireless monitor, that can be, you can be monitored wirelessly or they can sometimes do intermittent monitoring where you kind of walk around for a little bit and then they check on baby and you walk around a little bit and check on baby. There's a myth out there that like if you get Pitocin or an induction, you're just like stuck in the bed. So I love what you just said, Ashley. You were like, I had to get out of here. I had to get out of this bed. And you can, you can get in the bathtub. You can walk around. How beautiful. So what happened when the nurse came in? Were you like, um, help? (laughs) So I, another part of that was I was positive for the strep B. Mm -hmm. Is that what it's called? Yeah, group beta strep. Yep. So I had tested positive for that. So I was under the impression that once my water broke, I could not stay in the tub, which I later found out that that's not accurate. I could have stayed. Not true at all. And I'm going to interrupt because your vagina is not a vacuum. It doesn't suck water up and bacteria around your baby. Like that's not how water works. And that and vaginas work. And that is exactly why it's completely safe to have a water birth, regardless if you're GBS positive or negative. So I'm sorry no one helped you with that. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. So after my water broke, that's kind of when it everything started going downhill. Um, and that's when I was like, dang, this is really why I wanted a doula. So I got really scared. I jumped out of the water because I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to like infect him or something. Oh. So... I'm just like standing there naked because I don't know where any of the towels are. And I'm just like, okay, well, this is where I lose my dignity because I'm just naked here in front of everybody, dripping, amniotic fluid everywhere. So she came in, she checked to make sure that it had broken, it had. And almost, I don't know, within five minutes, I started feeling the most pain I have ever felt in my entire life. At that point, it was game on and time does not, I I can't space time from then to when I gave birth. I know that it was sometime between two to four-ish, maybe even four to six. I I, I really can't remember when my water broke. And then I ended up giving birth at like 1019. But it was, I tried to do some of the positions that we had learned, some of the hip squeezes, nothing. I couldn't get comfortable at all. I ended up getting back in the bed. And I think that was probably one of the worst ideas. I think that probably made it made it worse. But I just, I didn't know what to do when the contractions were coming so quickly. I think also because of the Pitocin that they were coming so quickly. That's that, exactly why they were coming so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I couldn't think straight to figure out what I could do to make it better. So, so hug. Let's take a deep breath and hug. And for anyone listening that doesn't have a doula, maybe they can't afford a doula. And that's why they're listening to this podcast because they're trying to get help. Okay. Let's, I'm going to tell you some things that if I was your doula, that I would have helped you with. Okay. One, we would have had a conversation on whether or not you wanted to have an epidural. Okay. (laughs) Two, if that wasn't on the table, we would have moved your body and opened your pelvis in ways to make you feel good. So, it is true. No laboring woman ever unmedicated lay down, laid down in a bed and said, hmm, 
This feels great. Okay. (laughs) It only feels good to lay down in the water or to move. So swaying back and forth, deep squats. And the thought of going into a squat is like, oh my God, no way. I can't do that. But once you get into it, you're like, oh yeah, that does feel like so much better. It takes the pressure off. Double hip squeezes. Like your partner's got to learn how to master a double hip squeeze prior to going into labor. Like have a doula teach you, have someone teach you, look on the internet, practice. I mean, you just got to like make some double fists, get into the right position. And like the birthing person is going to tell you if it feels good or not. They're going to be like, nope, or yes. And then, you know, your birth partner can figure out what feels really good. So those double hip squeezes, I actually make, I'm like, they joke that I'm the CrossFit doula, which is really funny, but I make a circuit because my clients and their partners don't know what to do. And especially when I was coaching virtually, I'm like, okay, five lunges to the right, five lunges to the left, like during contraction. So now we're like 10 contractions done, five deep squats, five lean over the bed forward with some double hip squeezes, five contractions on the toilet. So you can see just like we're with Pitocin, we've got our little pole, we're confined to a space, but we're not confined to like a bed, right? Or like, so we can move around. So if I was your doula, you guys, I would have created a circuit and helped you move your body. So what do you do in advance to prepare? Really research labor positions. Have your partner write them down because like Ashley's talking about, you can't think about anything. You can't write yourself a birth circuit when you're (laughs) having a contraction every two minutes. Like that's not a thing. Like all you can do is like breathe and get to the next one, you know? So this is why it's really important to like take a birth course or prepare in advance or have a doula or anything like that. But girl, you know, I had all the things. I'm a doula. I had a doula. I had a husband who was trained in Bradley method. And I still was like, every two minutes, I was like, help. (laughs) Like, but like people would ask, like, do you need? And I'm like, I don't even know what question you're asking me. You know, like, did you, did words come out of your mouth? You just stare at people like, I'm in an alternate dimension, you know? Yeah. Like you people are in this dimension. I'm in a different one now. And that's what happens. Exactly. So that's what you're describing. Your water breaks and you are now an active labor. Mm -hmm. So what did you do besides (laughs) laying in the bed? Yeah. So I ended up in the bed. I tried listening to music. I remember very specifically that I guess I wasn't breathing or I wasn't breathing well. And I remember the nurse getting like up in my face and saying, Ashley, you have to breathe. Your baby needs air. And like, all then like freaked me out going back. Like I appreciate it. Yeah. I needed to breathe, but that was a little intense for me. A little but, much. Yeah, so I guess I was not breathing very well. So I started focusing on the breathing I looked at my husband and I was like, I I really think I need an epidural because I don't think I can do this. So we got the nurse um, and I I said, you know, I think I need an epidural. And she said, well, why don't we try a pain medication first and see if that helps? And I really didn't want an epidural. So I was like, okay, whatever, like just make it better. And so we did that. She gave me whatever it was. I don't remember now. 
And it literally did nothing but made me feel like my head was floating for like two minutes and then extreme pain. Mm. So that was kind of a disappointment because it like took time for them to do that. And then it, it took more time for them to come back and then put in the order for the epidural and all of that. So I guess somewhere in there was a shift change and the nurses switched out. So as I'm, as the person's coming in to do the epidural, I get a new nurse and she was amazing. She sat there and held my hand and like talked me through it and told me like I'm doing good and just like, I can't say enough good words about her. She was amazing. Um, So her and my husband just like coached me through getting epidural. And I think, I feel like it only worked on half of my body at first. So they like moved me around a little bit to get it to both. And then I felt so much peace. (laughs) Yeah, I could breathe and I didn't feel like I was dying because I really thought I was going to die. So that was really, really nice. And then I guess I got it just in time because it couldn't have been much longer after that. They checked me and they're like, oh, you're 10 centimeters. You're good to go. Of course, of course you are, because the words that you said where I I don't think I can do this anymore. And this is like the worst pain in my life. You know, those are things that we say in transition, which is when your cervix is stretching from seven to 10 centimeters dilated. So this is just for, for you, if you ever have another baby or for anyone listening who really did want an unmedicated birth, I always recommend that you get a vaginal exam right before you make that major medical decision. Because sometimes if you heard like, hey, you're nine, Ashley, like some people will go, oh, okay, I'll just keep going then. You know, it gives you that confidence to go, oh, no wonder I don't have to do this for 12 more hours. I have to do this for like 45 more minutes. And then, you know, so that's something I always encourage is like just maybe if you're if you feel like you have one or two percent left in the tank. Like get a get a vaginal exam and just see if you're not like right on the edge of giving birth. And if you're like, you know, four, like definitely get your epidural for sure. Oh, God. And have a great experience. <laughs> or if you know for sure you want an epidural, you know, if you want the epidural, like get the epidural. But if you were like Ashley and you were like, maybe you really didn't want it, you can always take pause, right? And do that. So let's talk about, I love when people have really good epidurals though they can be game changers, right? Like, and you just said, like, you could take a deep breath. So how did you overcome that fear of needles so that you could get your epidural and like get to this place of what you said was peace? When I say I thought I was going to die, I literally thought I was going to die. Like (laughs) I knew that labor was going to be painful, but I had no, and I'm so sorry. I hope I don't scare anybody, but like, I had no idea how painful it was going to be. So when it was between the pain and having a needle in my back for a second, I was like, no, give it to me. I have to have it. Yeah, I remember that on my first. So my second was unmedicated, but my first I had an epidural. And I remember like thinking I was so scared of the epidural. And in the moment, I wasn't scared of anything. I was just like, make it go away. I have to go to sleep. Yes. I was like, I just need to take a, take a nap and go to sleep. I totally get it. No, and we're not scaring anyone, right? Okay, we don't have a better word to describe it other than pain, right? 
So the reality is, is that pain is something that is when something's wrong with our body. It feels like something's wrong. Contractions are like very intense and, but they end. Pain, if something's wrong with you, doesn't end, right? Like you have a sharp pain and then it just continues until you get surgery or take antibiotics or fix whatever is wrong. Contractions are a little bit different. It's like you feel this thing, this intense sensation. Ashley says pain. I'm going to say like intense (laughs) sensation. And then it like is so weird. It goes away and you feel nothing at all. But then you're anticipating. You're like the next, then you feel the next one coming. You're like, oh no, the next coming again. You know, I remember. And with the Pitocin, it's like, for me at least, because I know you said like you have this intense pain and then it goes away and you're waiting for it to come back. Like it felt like it never went away. It maybe got a little more intense, but it was always there because they were coming so quickly. Yes. Okay. Learning for another day, but your Pitocin was too high. (laughs) So I would call that hyper contracting. So we want your contractions to be like two to three minutes apart to have like adequate cervical change. But like we want you to have a break in between. So if Ashley, I'm going to give you another hug. If I was your doula, I would have made them turn down the Pitocin (laughs) or, or off. Because once your water breaks, you're laboring on your own. Did you know that? A lot of people don't know that. Like you're laboring on your own when your water breaks. So Yeah, no, I didn't know that. um, So a lot of times we can turn it down and then turn it off. I mean, I feel like there's there's so much learning in your story, Ashley. (laughs) So, I mean... It's beautiful. It's amazing. You got relief. You felt peace. But I want other people to know like a thousand ways to the same endpoint, right? Like we can, you can get there and there's no right path. There's no wrong path. My whole job as a doula is to make sure people know there's paths, you know, like you can go this way, you can go that way, you can go anywhere in between. I do understand too why they tried to give you IV pain medicine. So sometimes, especially at shift change, it could take a while before anesthesia could get to you. Mm. And if your nurse was really like, you know, she was holding you and all that kind of thing too, like they may have just been understanding that like we're in the middle of shift change, help is coming. But here's something we could do to like help a little bit until we got to that point. So that's where I see IV pain medicine. It's called like Stadol or Demerol. Like there's just depend on the hospital. What yeah. They, what they use. Yeah. It's, and you know, IV opioids basically. And they, like you said, make your head feel fuzzy. For some people, they're really effective. For some people, it does help significantly with their pain. And for others, it doesn't. But I was listening to your story and I was thinking, yeah, I know why they did that because they're at shift change and they want to help her out before the anesthesiologist can get there <laughs> you know? yeah. and put everything in. So, well, so you have this wonderful epidural and you feel at peace and you feel like you can breathe, which means you're in control again. Mm-hmm. If you could do it again, would you plan just plan for the epidural next time? So I definitely want more kids. So we'll say yes. So when I do it again, if I'm lucky um, to be able to, I don't know. I think in a perfect world, I would absolutely have a doula with me. And I would probably really rely on her to 
help me make the right decision when it comes to it. I don't think I would plan either way. I would like to get through it unmedicated. Just I don't. I just would like to have less medical intervention. I don't know. I'm open to again, just whatever is going to make it the safest and healthiest for both of us. Yeah, I was. I'm surprised by your answer. I'll be honest, but I love it because. I really want people to hear what you just said. You just said, I felt like it was the worst pain of my life and I was dying. And then you said, but I kind of want to feel that again. (laughs) (laughs) I did say that, didn't I? Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's how cool birth is, you guys. Like, that is how cool birth is. It's like really crazy intense, but like, in a way, it's like, yeah, I did that thing, (laughs) you know? And you, you did, Ashley. You had your water broken on Pitocin and you were laboring unmedicated for a very long time. Like we, there are no trophies or badges, but like we should get one. You should have one for that (laughs) experience. I mean, how amazing. I just think that's so funny. I'm like, oh yeah, you're, we're so strong as women and people don't think that about us. Like you're like, I thought it was dying. Give me some more, you know, (laughs) Let's do it. Okay. So now you're comfortable and they check you and you're complete. How long did you push for? I think I pushed for about 45 minutes. I was really terrified that I was going to be there doing it for hours. And I was like, oh God, this is going to take forever. I'm not going to be able to do it. This is so hard. I had a lot of trouble figuring out how to do it. I feel like this isn't a TMI spot um, that I can say whatever, but like it really felt like I was pooping, which I know like that's what it that's what it feels like. I know that's what it's supposed to be, but I just thought that I don't know. I got way inside my head. I think because I wasn't feeling the pain anymore, that I was more self conscious. So it was really difficult for me to get into the pushing aspect, I guess. But I also recognize that 45 minutes is not a very long time to push. So I guess I did something. I don't know. Or he was way down there. But yeah, he um, was about 45 minutes. It was just me, my husband, like one nurse and the doctor. And the doctor kind of came and went a couple times. And he was here. Yeah. It's so funny. They don't really, the doctors don't really hang out until you're like half the heads out. Yeah. Um, They're baby catchers. You know, like baby catchers and surgeons and your nurse is your labor nurse, right? Like, I think that's a really like we're labor and delivery nurses, but you know, it's really important. Like they're trained to labor with you and then your, your OB comes in to catch. Sometimes a midwife will hang, you know, the head midwives will sometimes hang around a little bit longer, but yeah, 45 minutes is pretty short, Ashley. Doesn't mean it's any less intense, like you said, but it's pretty short. Nobody knows how to push with an epidural, so don't worry about that. (laughs) I feel like that's what the nurse is for to help, or your doula, to help coach you through that sensation. And, you know, I wish we had a better analogy. Like, I'm all over Instagram, and I like all these birth workers, and it always comes down to, like, push like you have to poop. And it's like, well, (laughs) while that annoys me, it's also like kind of true. I mean, it's like your yeah. vagina and your rectum are right next to each other. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of feels like the same place, you know? So, you know, when someone comes up with a better analogy, let me know. But the best I can come up with is like pushing a dry tampon out. When you're in the last day of your cycle, 
and you've got a dry tampon inside you, like the muscles that you need to push that dry tampon out so you don't pull your tissue out. That's the only thing I can come up with. I'm like, what else is there to teach you how to isolate those muscles? Unless you like, you know, did a bunch of those Benoit balls and, you know, I don't know all the things, but somebody DM me if you've got some really good idea for how to talk about pushing because I hear you, Ashley. I mean, it kind of feels like that's what you're doing. And sometimes you are doing both, you know, it's like a lot. So did you do anything with your placenta? And this is kind of where I guess the part about the birth plan comes back into play. I did keep it. I had someone encapsulate it for me, but I had also wanted to do the, um, I'd wanted to do a delayed cord clamping I'd wanted to hold him for like that that hour or so for direct skin to skin. I'd wanted to donate the the cord blood. Mm-hmm. The, is that what it is? I guess nobody read my birth plan or cared. I don't know. I'm still, I guess, a little salty about that apparently. But they forgot or something fell through or something. So I wasn't able to do the cord blood banking or whatever it's called. They put him on me for like a second when he came out and then took him away. And I don't know if there was a reason, like, I don't know if there was something wrong with them that they had to go check out or if again, they just didn't pay attention to what I had wanted. But like in that moment, I just felt like super vulnerable. Like I was just, I had a a small tear. So I was wide open getting fixed for that. And I'd just done this huge thing. And I was like, but he's over there. Why isn't he here with me? So that was that was pretty hard. And that's something that I just didn't know how to advocate for myself in that moment, which I wish I, I had been able to do. Um, and I would really like to do differently for the next one. But yeah, that was kind of the post-birth aspect. I want to give you some healing because I work at that hospital a lot. That hospital does not have baby-friendly designation like the other hospitals around here. However, I work there a lot. If they took your baby off of your chest very quickly, there was probably a reason. Okay. So they do not separate moms from their babies and that skin-to-skin at this particular hospital unless your baby needs a little extra support. So maybe it could have been something as simple as they were just monitoring pulse or respirations or color, grimace, like anything like that. But I just want to give you some peace there. So I... Yeah, no, thank thank you. That's That does make me feel a little yeah, bit better. I don't think that that was lack of advocacy. I think that that was just your baby just probably needed a little bit of extra eyes on him. But it is really important that you put it in a birth plan and that someone in the room is speaking up for you. Yeah. So even like when the doctor comes in and you're getting ready to push, maybe just having your partner, whoever that is, say, hi, we have a birth plan and we have newborn care preferences. Could you look them over while she's pushing? Because you don't need anyone's help to push, you know? I mean, maybe your nurse, but like the delivering <laughs> provider, like, has a minute to read over a birth plan, usually. Sounds like your doctor had 45 minutes. 
So <laughs> yeah, right. To read over your birth plan preferences for delivery. So anyway, so yeah, you're totally right in that they should have read it over. So it's really interesting that you brought up cord blood banking because there is public and private. And I just interviewed Catherine Cross, the CEO of Anja. The website's useanja.com. And that's for private cord blood banking. But while doing that episode, I was researching public cord blood donation. It turns out that you should register around before 34 weeks gestation and that they will, most of these public banks will send you a kit and it's something that you do in advance. Who knew, right? Like I have been a doula for 17 years. I had no clue that you had to, that I needed to coach or educate my doula clients to do something prior to 34 weeks gestation. So if you just Google everybody like public cord blood banking in my area, and then you register and then they ship you a kit, and then you can donate your cord blood and your cord tissue. And then if you want to do it privately, where it's yours and you have access to it, then I do recommend the company Anja, which is A-N-J-A. How beautiful that you are willing to donate your cord blood though. Yeah. I, and honestly, I don't even really know like a whole lot about what it's for, but you know, I've always been, if there's anything that I can do that could help somebody else, I mean, I'm not going to use it. It's just going to go into like the waste or, or whatever. Right. So yeah, yeah, I would love for someone to be helped with that. It's beautiful. You can also donate your placenta at most hospitals, and that's not something you have to register for in advance. So you can ask if your hospital participates in placenta donation. At one of the hospitals here in Charlotte, we are partnered. I think it's Wake Forest or Duke or Chapel Hill. I don't know, one of the big universities. And they make skin grafts for burn victims at the big burn center. Maybe it's Chapel Hill, can't remember. But you can, in the moment, you can donate your placenta. That's um, really cool. So ask everybody if your area has placenta donation. Um, it is a little bit more involved if you want to do public cord blood banking. What it does, Ashley, is right now there are 85 different diseases and cancers that are FDA approved to be treated with cord blood. So essentially they're collecting stem cells that are blank cells. So let's say a child or someone has leukemia, those stem cells can be injected and then they can heal, repair damaged cells. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, you can literally save and transform lives either through public or private donation. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I I had no idea that that it was that intense of something that's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Like it's community at its best. So, well, Ashley, thank you for sharing your story today and talking about inductions and a beautiful epidural. We all need a good story, right? And you had a short labor and short pushing and I know, like I hear, like I can see your face, like we're on Zoom, I can see your face and I can feel some of the I don't know, hurt, I guess, from the things that were taken away from you that you wanted that you didn't get. But I, you know, I really appreciate you sharing it so that other people could learn today and maybe implement some of the things that we talked about that could look different. And maybe I helped you today 
so that if you are blessed with another child in the future, that you could take some of the things I shared with you today for your own next story. Hopefully that will help you too. So before we go, what is your favorite, favorite baby product that you think all of the listeners should consider having on their registry? Yeah. So the Miracle Blanket is an amazing swaddle. Our pediatrician recommended it because we could not figure out how to swaddle my child. It just wouldn't happen. So the Miracle Blanket is kind of complicated when you look at it at first because it has some different like wraps and stuff. But once you figure out how to use it, it is amazing. And he slept like an angel and it was just fantastic. Now he's 13 months old. Is he still in it? Oh, no. No. (laughs) The Cristiano Ronaldo soccer player has kicked out of a swaddle a long time ago. I don't know. I'm just wondering. (laughs) I can't like I literally my my baby is now six years old. And so I'm thinking, when did I stop swaddling him? I don't know. I guess it was prior to 13 months, but. It gets a little fuzzy afterwards. Yeah, I think we did it for a little too long. We didn't realize we needed to stop way before we did. So, but, yeah. Uh, maybe when they can roll over, I guess they probably shouldn't be swaddled anymore. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to link to the Miracle Blanket in the show notes. Ashley, if anyone has any questions for you about your birth story or just wants to give you some encouragement and love, what is your email address so that they could send you a note? Yeah, so it's going to be my first and last name, Ashley Lewis. My name's A-S-H-L-E-E, Lewis0610 at gmail.com. Perfect. Ashley, thank you so much for being on. And I'm really excited to get to my date by myself with Netflix and this amazing comedian tonight. So thanks for the plans. (laughs) Have a great day. (laughs) Thank you, you too. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 